Hello and welcome to Pelvic Floor at its Core, the only podcast out there that is brought to you by a women's health medical technology company. I am your host, Shravya Cavella, Pelvic Floor Physical Therapist and Business Development Manager at Flight by Pelvidol. We have a unique approach at Pelvidol. We believe our product, Flight, can provide life-changing outcomes, but we also know that no single treatment is right for everyone. We are therefore working hard to increase the collective knowledge out there about the importance of the pelvic floor. Because the more we work together, the more we can work towards increasing access to pelvic floor care so all women can truly live their best lives. On this podcast, I bring on pelvic health experts to talk about a variety of topics that any and every woman and clinician can relate to and learn from. It's always informative, always interesting, and we always have fun. So let's get into it. Happy March, everyone. I cannot wait for spring. In the meantime, we can use our continued quote-unquote hibernation time to learn about labor and birthing support. I learned so much during this conversation. As a pelvic PT, I've actually been broadening into more birth prep for my own patients, so it was just such a cherry on top of the birth prep Sunday to listen to our guests, Gina Conley and Roxanne Albert from Mamaste Fit, spelled M-A-M-A-S-T-E-F-I-T, talk about how to prepare for birthing during pregnancy and honestly all the nitty gritty on what sorts of movements, positions, and breathing techniques one should employ during each stage of labor. Gina has a master's of science in exercise science and is a birth doula, while Roxanne is a labor and delivery nurse. Both are co-founders of Mamaste Fit and make it a mission to educate on all the things birthing people may want to know. And I've got to be honest, we recorded over an hour of information for this episode. So getting it down to close to 30 minutes was truly a challenge. So I guarantee you, you are getting the best of the best information in this short episode. If you are expecting a child, have a partner expecting, or plan to get pregnant or support a pregnant person at any time, you are about to learn so much that's actionable to you. So let's not delay any longer. Here's Gina and Roxanne. Hey guys, how are you? Uh, we're doing well. Awesome. Good. good. I'm really excited to have you both on. You guys put some really great content out there and I think we're going to have a really great conversation today. Let's just dive right in. I'm going to leave it up to you both to tell us a little bit more about you and also what motivated you to start your business. So we're Gina and Roxanne of Mama Stay Fit. I'll let Roxanne do an introduction as well when I'm finished. So I'm Gina. I have my master's in exercise science. I'm a birth doula and I'm the main owner of Mama Stay Fit, which is a fitness training facility here in North Carolina. We specialize in prenatal and postnatal fitness training, particularly strength and conditioning training. The online aspect of Mama Stay Fit, we offer childbirth education courses and we offer professional courses for birth workers and for fitness trainers. My background is that I used to be active duty army here stationed here in North Carolina. I transitioned out after my daughter was born and my husband is still in the military. After she was born, I was just trying to find something to occupy myself with, um, even though motherhood is a full-time job on its own. I just wanted some sort of creative outlet for me. And so I decided to specialize in prenatal and postnatal fitness training. 
Um, about a year into offering uh, specialized fitness training, I decided to expand my services to offer birth doula services as well. We also started offering in-person childbirth education courses at that point. When COVID hit in 2020, we expanded our services to also offer online childbirth education. And it's kind of where we've been focusing a lot of our attention now because there's so much offered virtually. So yeah, so that's kind of how Mama Stay Fit started. And so we have the fitness training, we have the childbirth education, we have the professional courses, and then we offer stuff both in person and online. So I'll let Roxanne introduce herself now. You guys wear a lot of hats, I just got to say. <laughs> that is very cool that you offer to both, you know, the birth workers, but also just people who are wanting to learn more and prepare for their own personal experiences. So so I have been a, a nurse for about seven years now. I started off in like postpartum nursing and then moved on to labor and delivery nursing. But I was in the Army for seven years and that's where I kind of got my start in nursing with women's health. When I got out after having my daughter, I kind of just started helping Gina just more with Amaste Fit. And then obviously we just moved out to California this past year. So now I'm kind of doing it from afar, helping out with Amaste Fit and taking care of my two kids full time. So <laughs> this has been a really great opportunity for me that Gina's kind of pulled me into feel like what I'm hearing too from you both is just this huge transition to virtual. And I feel like that worked out perfectly for you too, Roxanne, because you're over in California and Gina, you're in North yes. Carolina. Yes, it's definitely one of the things that we really have valued from this pandemic is that we can now reach not just from like our little community in North Carolina, but now we can reach people that are like in other countries or on the other side of the continent. So it's been really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just so many birthing people who don't know what they don't know. And to have that exposure can make all the difference. I'm going to throw kind of a somewhat broad question at you both. What are the top three tips, if you could only pick three, that you would give to someone who is planning to labor and give birth? What would those three tips be? My three tips are going to be to exercise or move regularly throughout your pregnancy, work on connecting with your pelvic floor, and then to take some sort of childbirth education course. So with exercising, moving regularly throughout your pregnancy, it's been shown to not only like improve your labor outcomes, make your labor a little bit faster, it's going to help you feel more comfortable throughout your pregnancy. Like we don't have to be in pain to be pregnant. Like it's not a prerequisite, even though when folks go to their doctor and they say, hey, I'm having a lot of pelvic pain, the solution is usually, well, when you give birth, you're not going to be in pain anymore. Right. And that's just like not true. And telling someone yeah. that they just have to suffer through pregnancy is not helpful. But you don't have to do like strength training. You can go for daily walks. You can choose exercise that you enjoy doing, but try to do it regularly throughout your pregnancy. It's really going to help just make things a lot easier for you. The other thing is going to be connecting with your pelvic floor. And there's so many resources out there. You can virtually see a pelvic floor PT or they can verbally walk you through like how to connect with your pelvic floor. We have the flight device that you can use to like for that biofeedback throughout pregnancy to give you some of that like connection with your pelvic floor. You can we need the pelvic floor to be strong throughout pregnancy to support all the pelvic organs, the increased mass, support your baby, but we also need it to be able to be supple and to release and to stretch and open for labor. Um, and then the third thing is going to be take that childbirth education course. You don't know what you don't know. Ideally, taking a childbirth education course that isn't offered in your hospital, um, so like an independent course. Usually, not that hospital courses are bad. There are some really passionate instructors that are located in hospitals that teach courses. 
we ideally want something that's going to teach you about your birth options, ideally in an unbiased way. You're going to find courses that are going to kind of go on either end of the spectrum where it's like super medicalized or like super anti-medicine. So trying to find that course that's kind of in the middle where they're offering all your options in a non-judgmental way. Like you don't, you don't want to feel bad about getting an epidural or choosing to have a C-section, but you also don't want to be afraid of medications that might be available to you that may improve your birth outcomes. Because usually the things that contribute towards more of that birth trauma or negative birth experiences is kind of reflecting back on your birth and going, oh, I didn't know that I could do that. I didn't know that that was an option for me. So those would be my three main trips. Move throughout your pregnancy in whatever movement that feels good for you. If it's lifting weights, cool. If it's going for walks, cool. If it's doing yoga, awesome. Connect with your pelvic floor and then take an independent childbirth education course so that you better understand what your options are during birth. So Roxanne, what are your tips if they're not exactly the same? <laughs> so definitely still agree with the childbirth education. Some hospitals like still take your free childbirth education through your hospital if it's available because sometimes they'll tell you hospital-specific offerings that they have. By understanding the process of birth, it kind of takes away like that fear associated with it that a lot of people have. Because I, I feel like most of the time that I meet somebody that's pregnant, they're always like, I'm so scared of labor. And, I'm, and it's not necessarily something to be scared of. Like I think that by just understanding what's happening in your body during it and that it's like a per, like it's all of these things are happening for a reason kind of makes it a less scary thing to experience. The next would be like shopping around for a provider that if like your first appointment, you're like, I really didn't like them. Go meet other providers, meet midwives or OBs that are in the area. Just because of the first person that you go to um, and that's who like maybe you've been seeing for all of your normal OB needs, like the, this is the doctor who does your pap smears and stuff, doesn't mean you have to see them for your birth. I think they would understand if you decide to go another route for your labor and delivery doctor. I think those are really great tips. I love that you both emphasize joyful movement, whatever feels good to you at the time, because people have different experiences. I really like how you outlined a little bit more about the childbirth education course. I, I do feel like it can be very overwhelming to birthing people to really figure out like what is the right course to take. Sometimes it's one of those things where it's hard to find resources until you do find resources. And then there's like, a million and you just don't know what to do. But I think Roxanne, you said that just shopping around for a provider, I think that can also apply to the childbirth education as well. And my follow-up question to that is like, if you're shopping around for a provider, what is it that someone should pick? What are the things that we should be looking for to feel like, okay, this is the right choice for me? So I would say paying attention to the presence that somebody has. And if that's like a personality and a vibe that you kind of mesh with, it's choosing like what kind of best aligns with the birth philosophy that you have for yourself. Looking at like the Instagram page to see kind of what kind of presence do they have? Is this a personality that I want to learn from? The information that they share is this kind of aligning with the information that I'm mostly looking for. Yeah, and I, I feel like the underlying approach I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, is being able to take control of your own situation and of your own journey and and advocating for yourself in that way of exploring what's out there, but understanding that you have some control in the process, which I think does get lost in translation sometimes. Absolutely. There's no like one best course for every single person because we all have different needs and different birth desires and different ways that we want to approach our birth experience. 
what do you want? You choose. Like you're the one who has the decision-making power. So yeah, I definitely think it applies to the childbirth education courses as well. Right. So this is for 90% of the population, a marathon. And it's something that you want to prepare for. Both of you said exercising regularly, moving regularly, and being active during pregnancy is one of your top three tips. Going off of that, what kinds of movements would you recommend for someone to be doing before giving birth to really prepare their bodies for that process? So the pelvis is really dynamic. And so movement patterns that we do can change how much space we can create in each level of the pelvis. So ideally, we want to be incorporating movements into our prenatal exercise that is going to help us achieve those movement patterns. So to open the top of the pelvis, we need movements that emphasize more of the external rotation of the femur or like wide knees, like deep squats. And then also that posterior pelvic tilt or tucking the butt underneath to ensure that I have that movement capability would be like doing different squats. Ideally, like someone's not in pain when they do deep squats. And if they are having pain, specifically in like the pelvic girdle, then like doing box squats would be a better option. So they don't to go quite as deep. And there are other movements that are going to do that as long as we incorporate those two movement patterns of the posterior pelvic tilt and then the external rotation of the femurs. The next thing that we want to be able to emphasize to open like the middle of the pelvis, which is essentially the bony structure where baby's going to rotate through, is that asymmetrical, uneven type movement. So one leg is doing something differently than the other. This is where like single leg movements, like side to side type movements, like lunges and things are going to be really beneficial. Now, single leg movements may not be super comfortable for somebody during pregnancy, again, because of that pelvic girdle pain. And so there are modifications that we can do to still trying to make it accessible to us, but not be in pain. Things that we want to be looking for when we're doing these like mid pelvis asymmetrical type movements is we want to make sure that the pelvis on the femur can find its full range of motion. So we can find both that external rotation and then also internal rotation, which tends to be where more of the issues are going to come from. So it's a little bit harder to explain it over like a uh, audio podcast. You're um, doing a great job. Yeah, but essentially, like, we want to be able to make sure that when I am at the bottom of my lunge, I can rotate my upper body towards my leg, that's gonna be more of that internal rotation. We want to be able to find both that open hip position our neutral hip position, and then our closed hip position, because that's really going to help facilitate labor progress. So a lot of the labor stalls that come from the path that baby is moving through typically are going to be because of the inability to find internal rotation. So the ability to create more space in the bottom portion of the pelvis. And then that brings us to the outlet, which we want internal rotation of the femurs on both sides. So we want to be able to bring our knees in, ankles out, point our toes towards one another, almost like the, um, I think it's a pigeon toe <laughs> position. Mm -hmm. yep. um, we want to be able to find that. So for anything that's going to emphasize kind of the posterior chain, it's going to be pretty beneficial. When I think movements to prepare for labor, I'm thinking movements that are going to help open the different pelvic diameters and ensuring that those movements are accessible to me during pregnancy so that I can then achieve those movements and laboring positions during labor. So and then the final thing that we want to emphasize is going to be movements that are going to help support pushing and opening the outlet or the bottom of the pelvis. This is where we're going to have more of those hinge focused movement patterns such as deadlifts. Um, also emphasizing more of like the pigeon toe um, pattern with like our breathing drills to help open and find movement within the bottom of the pelvis. I think that was a lot, but those are the movements that I would incorporate <laughs> to prepare for labor specifically. 
popping in here to say that flight is available at $395 or with a discount through certain PT and doctors with a performance back guarantee and payment plans available. We are also a partner with Agile Virtual PT and can hook you up to one-on-one -on -one individualized care that fits into your busy lifestyle. Just schedule a call with us or email us via www.flighttherapy.com. All right, back to the show. If someone's listening to this and hears all these things that they should be doing and maybe they can't do it for a certain reason or they have pain or they have this history of a hip injury and, you know, they're stiff or whatever it is, are you doomed if you can't do all of these things? Absolutely not. So even just going for walks is going to help your hips move through that internal to external rotation just with our normal walking gait. So when we're going for a walk, just trying to maintain more of like a parallel foot position. So when I step, I want to focus on, okay, I'm feeling weight in my heel, the balls of my foot and my big toe evenly. And so that way I know when I'm stepping down, I have like evenness throughout my leg and the muscles of my leg and my pelvis that are being activated, as opposed to putting more pressure into the outside of my foot putting more pressure on the inside of my foot, which can, can be contributing towards a muscular imbalance. It's all about finding movement that feels good for you. And you don't need to do like these 85 things to have a good birth. Um, we typically see that a lot for folks that have had a more traumatic experience before, or maybe a birth experience that they weren't wanting in a previous birth. They make this huge list of like, okay, I need to see a chiropractor. I need to go see a PT. I need to do a fitness program that I work out every day. I need to do nightly meditations. I need to eat spinach with 30% kale with this specific <laughs> vitamin. And so it gets like the list becomes very overwhelming and almost causes more anxiety when someone's like, I didn't do the things. And that's why I had a bad experience. Like if you want to make a list of things you would like to focus on, by all means go for it. You could have your list of 10 things, but maybe it's like you pick two of the things on the list that like are your main focuses and then giving yourself grace. If you don't do all the things, like it's not going to mean you're going to have a bad birth experience. Right. You want it to be something that is reasonable to do without spiking up your anxiety and the rest will play out. And if you have a good support team, you're going to be good. Yeah. And I agree with what Gina was saying. If they enjoy doing yoga, you're going to get all of those same movement patterns in like a yoga class. You can get them if you go for a walk or if you um, go swimming, you can even like incorporate all of these things into different types of activities, not necessarily strength training, even though that's obviously what we advocate for. You don't have to do that and you'll still have a good birth. I do want to ask about pushing, how to breathe while pushing, what to expect. So let's just talk about that. How do you guide your clients to know how to breathe during that stage? So for pushing definitely causes a lot of anxiety for a lot of folks. Like we see movies where like people are like screaming. It's like very intense. Right. Um, and then you have like on Instagram, we usually see a lot of like never push on your back never hold your breath or hold your breath, like curl around. So there's a lot of conflicting information that's being pushed around about pushing. Research essentially supports that mother-led pushing is, is going to produce the best outcome. So essentially like you choosing how to push, when to push, how to breathe, how to hold your breath is going to lead to the best outcomes. Now that sometimes is overwhelming for somebody where they're like, oh my God, I have to do this by myself. What if I don't know what to do? Like this is where like the guidance can kind of help so the first thing is one, choose whatever position that you want to try to push in. And it's okay to switch positions. Every time I push with somebody who pushes for a longer period of time, and usually 
um, anybody who's like a first time like mom or brother is probably going to push for a little bit longer. We do all sorts of positions. We'll do like 20 minutes in one position and then we'll flip to another position because as baby is trying to get underneath the pubic bone, we need movement and staying in a stationary position is not usually going to facilitate that. So we need to shift around. So usually when I ask my clients like, Hey, well, you know, it's, it's time to start pushing. Um, is there a position that you would like to push in? And then they'll say, well, you know, you and I sat down we talked about my different options. I want to try this first. And I'm like, cool, let's get into that position. And so we'll help them get into the position or they'll get it into themselves. And then we'll just try from there and we'll see how it goes. We'll get feedback. How do you feel in this? Do you feel like you're pushing well or are you not sure? So be okay with switching positions around, but have kind of an understanding of like what positions are available to you. Now, if somebody has an epidural, you can still push in other positions besides just flat on your back, but you don't want to try to get into a position that is not accessible to you. So if you're trying to push in all fours with an epidural, you need to be able to move yourself into that position kind of on your own. Otherwise, it may not be safe. So um, if you need to be physically put into positions, it may not be a great position for you. So pushing is a pressure management activity. We're increasing pressure within the abdominal cavity in order to make it a very high pressure gradient. So we're increasing the pressure in the ab or the belly. And then we're trying to push baby out into a low pressure gradient, which is going to be the outside world. So the best way that we can manage pressure is going to be in a neutral spine position. So diaphragm stacked over pelvic floor. And it tends to be the intuitive movement pattern that someone goes to when, without being prompted. For the majority of my clients, if no one tells them anything, they will naturally go more neutral. They're pulling their shoulders down and back. They're grabbing onto legs and they're pushing in a more stacked position um, because they're better able to generate pressure. Now, typically the advice in a hospital setting is going to be to curl around your baby. So come into more of a posterior tilt with the pelvis and rounding in the back. The thought process is, is this is putting a lot of pressure on the abdominal muscles to kind of like shove baby out that way. We're kind of taking out the pressure management aspect of it, or we're making it not as effective. So while like that thought process makes sense in theory, it's usually not one, what somebody is already trying to do intuitively. Like I'm not just squeezing my abs to crush my baby out. I'm trying to generate that pressure from the top to push baby out. So if we think about like squeezing a tube of toothpaste, if I squeeze the toothpaste from the sides or like the abdominal activation, it'll come out. It doesn't come out quite as fast. And eventually like it's not as effective. If I push my toothpaste from the top of the tube, it comes out a lot faster, a lot easier. Third thing, I think I said second or anyways, the third thing, there's three things. I don't know what number I said for the other ones. Um, the third You're thing good. is choosing however you want to breathe. So we really have two options when we push. You can either hold your breath when you push or you can exhale when you push. You choose however you want to do. So if you think about like when we take a big poop, we probably do a combination of both where we kind of grunt a little bit more and hold our breath and then we exhale out. So we're going to do probably a combination of both. So typically how pushing will go is during a contraction, you'll feel it start to build. You'll take your big inhale. Um, usually when we inhale, we want to feel that perineum kind of bulge or move downwards. So we're inhaling down and out. Sometimes I'll use a cue like breathes to baby, like take a big inhale to your baby. After we inhale, you're either going to hold your breath and continue to bear down, or you can exhale and continue to bear down. When we exhale, it's not like a very light exhale. It's a very deep kind of exhale. So um, like, as opposed to being like, it's more of a type of like, it's a little bit deeper and a little bit more powerful. So we have a lot more of that like bearing down sensation. After you're done with your exhale, you're going to reset and take another big inhale. Sometimes there's this desire to rush 
through it, but take another really big breath of like inhalation because that is what's going to start the pushing process. So again, we're generating all that increased pressure and we do that with inhalations. And then we exhale to bear down or hold your breath and bear down. And usually you do about like three to four, how long to exhale for usually six to eight seconds or a count to six to eight seems to work best for folks. I had an unmedicated home birth and I ended up pushing my baby out on my back because I felt like I could relax there the best. I have other clients that push standing up. Some of them really like pushing like an all fours. So Roxanne, what are your tips from a nurse perspective? So obviously Gina said a majority of the tips that I would share. Sometimes with epidurals, since that's a large population that I'm seeing is people that are getting epidurals and pushing is that it makes it just a little bit harder to get into different positions that are comfortable for them. So a lot of them do end up pushing on their backs, but then that limits their sacrum movement. So like adding those towels between uh, the sacrum and the bed to give that sacrum some room to move, or even just like tilting them slightly, if that's just where they're comfortable is on their back with that epidural. And then the breathing, it obviously it's a little bit harder to kind of coach someone to breathe and like push with Uh, It's called open glottis, which is when you're breathing out. It's a little bit harder to kind of teach someone how to do that if they haven't kind of practiced during pregnancy. So my tip would be to kind of practice pushing when you're sitting on the toilet. I mean, obviously, research is going to tell us that the open glottis pushing is more easier (laughs) on your babies um, and then also on your pelvic floor. But definitely just kind of listening to your body. Whatever kind of works for you during pregnancy by you practicing is kind of what's going to work for you during labor. So I recommend practicing. And then I don't think Gina said this, but when you are pushing, um, as your baby is crowning, um, so if you have an epidural or don't have an epidural, usually this is when you feel either the most pressure or that burning. This is when you're going to want to do those slow kind of pushes, like you're blowing out a candle or you're panting, because that will slowly ease your baby out and kind of hopefully limit the amount of tears. Because I think that's the one thing that a lot of people are kind of fearful of with pushing, especially is tearing from the pushing, especially if you push for a long period of time that obviously increases that risk. Breathe out with your lips kind of pursed or like panting like a dog is really helpful. And those were probably like my biggest tips that Gina hasn't already said. You guys broke it down in a really easy to understand way. And I think the big takeaway there is that figure out what is intuitive. Gina, at the very beginning, you were like, listen, if you change your mind while you are pushing, like that is completely okay. Play with that. I think that's really, really important to highlight because I feel that a lot of people do go into, you know, labor and delivery and they're like, all right, this is, this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to push this way and I'm going to breathe this way. And it doesn't always work out that way, but that's, that's okay. So I want to go into the case study. What are some of the key things that you would see in maybe a session with working with that person? So um, as a doula and then Roxanne as a nurse, we have supported a lot of folks throughout their pregnancies and labors, um, obviously from different aspects of support. So as we are supporting these births, there are definitely a few trends that we would like to highlight. So the majority of my doula clients are between 25 to 35 years old. They tend to be a little bit more active throughout their pregnancies. They have access to prenatal medical care. Uh, most of them choose to give birth in a hospital setting. They typically have a partner. Usually it's the parent, the other parent of their baby. So one of the first observations that I was noticing as a doula was movement patterns during labor. 
like the intuitive pattern. So how someone is just moving on their own without any sort of prompting tends to match to where baby is within the pelvis. So what baby's station is, usually their head is in relation to the ischial spine, which is a, so where baby is in in relation to that ischial spine is going to be baby station. And if baby is well above that, they're probably going to do movement patterns that are emphasizing opening the top of the pelvis just intuitively on their own. Um, They may also maybe doing movement patterns that are trying to help baby rotate into a better position to fit into the pelvis. And this is usually confirmed with a cervical check. Um, And they tend to favor like leaning forward or like rocking forward and backwards. So those are the type of movement patterns that I typically note when someone's baby is still high and trying to engage or enter into the pelvis. When someone's baby has entered into the pelvis or engaged, the movement patterns that I typically see is they tend to rock more side to side. They tend to favor more of that asymmetrical type movement, the one-sided movement emphasis. Some people will kind of go back and forth as baby is navigating through the pelvis. So it's not like, hey, if you rock forward and backwards, your baby's at this station. And then once you're side to side, you're here. Like there is going to be kind of like a fluctuation between movements. My conclusion is that interrupting someone's labor progress to tell them that they should do a specific position because I am the birth doula or someone is the nurse and they know better than you is not beneficial or helpful for somebody. And while like me as a doula, Roxanne as a nurse or somebody as a birth professional have more knowledge about birth overall, we are not going to be the most knowledgeable about this one person's experience and what they're feeling in their own body. And so emphasizing that connection is really important. If I'm seeing these movement patterns or I'm seeing them try to go somewhere, I could emphasize or enhance those movement patterns that they're trying to get into. So if somebody's favoring more of a forward lunge position and they're tucking their butt underneath, I can throw a step stool underneath their front foot to really emphasize that external rotation, that emphasis on that side. Like during pregnancy, we tried to have a lot of balance within the uterus within the pelvis, within the musculature that surrounds it. So making sure the uterine ligaments are balanced with one another. We typically have two of them. So we have two round ligaments. We actually have four uterosacral ligaments that are on the bottom of the uterus from the cervix to the sacrum. Um, We have the round ligaments on the front. Most of us are familiar with that. Then we also have a broad ligament. So ensuring that there's no uneven tension or too much tension in all those is going to ensure that there is a smooth path for baby to move. If there's a restriction, it's almost like a speed bump got put in that path. And so it can make it a little bit harder. We do want to try to ensure that the musculature of like the glutes, the hips, the abdomen are fairly balanced. So that way the pelvic position is going to be more balanced, be in more neutral position. So baby has a smooth path again. So sometimes if we have a really, really strong abdominal wall that's super tight and tense or the pelvic floor is super tight and tense, it can make it a little bit more challenging for baby to find a better position. The other thing is if the abdominal wall is super loose, it could also make it harder for baby to come into the pelvis because they're kind of hanging out in front of us. So we want to kind of find that happy medium of both strong and supple. Um, Like we want to empower people that are giving birth. Pregnancy, birth and postpartum, for whatever reason, everybody wants to assume that they know better than you. Hey, don't eat that because you're going to hurt your baby. Like nobody wants to respect that. Hey, actually, like you decided to make this person either on purpose or accident, but you're decided to, to have this pregnancy and you're deciding to have this baby and you're deciding to be a parent and maybe you do know best. So respecting that is going to really like support someone's labor experience. Roxanne, what do you got? (laughs) (laughs) I'll just describe two quick 
births that I was a part of. So one of them, they were both inductions um, in both their second kid. And then they both also had fairly quick labors. They were less than like 12 hours long. The first lady, she was an induction because she was past her due date. She was just at like a certain centimeters for a really long time. We couldn't increase her Pitocin because her contraction pattern was where it was like just back to back to back with those long breaks and baby was not tolerating it. She was having like four in a row and on that fourth contraction, baby's heart rate was going down. So baby wasn't really tolerating that contraction pattern. So we did an internal exam when we did a vaginal exam on her. And we noticed that baby was still in that transverse position and not really rotating um, with the contraction pattern. And so we found for her, she had an epidural, we needed to kind of help finish that baby's rotation so that baby can then like come down a little bit further in the pelvis and be born. So for her, we did like really exaggerated mid pelvis movements, such as like sideline positions with a peanut ball with a hip movement to kind of help stimulate baby to kind of finish that rotation. And then after that, when we put her into a different position after doing sideline on both sides, baby dropped and baby was born within like two minutes. Like the doctor almost didn't make it because baby just dropped so quickly and was just oh, like wow. being born. Her labor was a bit of a stall because one, we couldn't help stimulate, like get her contraction pattern better by increasing her Pitocin because it wasn't really due to like her contraction pattern being weak. It was more baby's position that we needed to address. So by addressing baby's position, her labor was then able to go as quick as it did the first time and baby kind of just like shot out. The second labor was, she was also an induction, but what happened with her, she didn't get an epidural. So she was really able to kind of listen to her body and intuitively move in ways that allowed baby to kind of move through all of the levels of the pelvis. And for this birth, I was more hands-off and I wasn't able to kind of do like a nursing role. I was more so able just to kind of provide that labor comfort support of offering different positions to kind of accentuate the movement patterns that she was doing. So she was really favoring lunges at one point. And then at one point she was really favoring just like these like tippy toe quarter squats. I was able to see when she was kind of entering that transitional phase of labor, verbal feedback of you're doing great. I feel like you're at this point based on what your body is showing us and what you're doing. And then that like kind of gave her that last push of being like, I don't, need to ask for any help because I'm doing great and I got this. And then like baby, again, that baby was born like, I think 15 minutes later, if that. The difference between those two labors of like one, they're both inductions, second babies, they had fairly quick labors the first time, but like one lady needed a little bit of assistance because she had that stall in her labor. This other lady, she didn't need us. She just kind of listened to her body. Yes, she was an induction and she had all of those in like interventions with an induction, but she was still able to move through like the normal physiologic kind of birth process with that help easily without like any sort of help with her positioning the stages that women go through one it's not necessarily always correlated to that cervical exam so sometimes like like the one lady who like went really quickly once her baby position changed she was like three or four centimeters for hours and once her baby's changed position she went from three to four centimeters to a baby in two minutes so like that dilation didn't necessarily correlate to where she was in that labor and sometimes we'll see people come in and they're one centimeter and then they literally had a baby 10 seconds later or like another birth that i was at she was at eight centimeters for like five hours 
because the dilation doesn't always correlate, but looking at the birthing person and what they're doing and what their body is telling them to do is a better indicator of labor progress. Because I know, especially with induction, it was really hard for her, the first mom, to hear, you're still three to four centimeters. Because she's like, with my first baby, this didn't happen. Like, the baby just came out really quickly. I didn't have any of these issues, so I don't know what's going on. Like, sometimes just, like, listening to our birthing people's bodies, they know more than we know. I think that was the perfect way to wrap up the episode. Thank you for sharing that. School is great, and we're taught all of these great things, and everyone has, you know, their different trainings. But I think, Gina, you said earlier, like, it's what that person is going through and and they're going to be the ones who know their body the best and can tell you the best. Thank you so much for your time. I just want to make sure that people know where to find you. So we have our Instagram page at Mama Stay Fit. And then we have our website, which is the same name, mamastayfit.com. On our website, we have all our online courses. If you're local to us, we have our all our in-person offerings as well. And we do offer like virtual classes as well via Zoom. So these are going to be live educational classes, like in the comfort of your home, where we have webinars that are taught by public floor PTs, ourselves, and then other experts in specific fields. And we have our virtual childbirth education course if you learn better in a live setting. And we also have all our fitness programs for pregnancy all through the postpartum phase. Um, we have sports-specific programs postpartum if you're try to get back to Olympic weightlifting or get back to running, or if you're just looking for a general strength and conditioning program. So we definitely have a lot to offer. So it's like namaste, but mamaste. Exactly. Um, Well, thank you both so much for your time. This was really fantastic, super informative. There's so much information that you guys put out there. And well, thank you. This was really fun. Yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning in to Pelvic Floor at its core. Quick disclaimer for you, Flight by Pelvidol is approved for pelvic floor strengthening and SUI only. All information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to replace medical advice. Always seek out a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have about a medical condition. And if you have a question about flight and its indications for use, please see our website at flighttherapy.com. And that's it. See you next time on the next episode of Pelvic Floor at its Core.